0: When we worship God, we are in the presence of God worshiping. That's why worship is such a powerful thing. That's why we're talking about it. We started last week on on worship. We start why we worship and what is worship. We said last week that true worship honors God, is directed towards God, and requires our involvement. We have to be participants in worship. Now, we're going to talk about it a verse that we've used a lot. We've all quoted it. We all know it. We mentioned that last week. And we left off with this story. John four twenty two, Jesus talking to the woman at the well. He says, you Samaritans worship what you don't know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. Now this verse, we worship in spirit and truth, we've used that a lot, most people have heard that verse. So we're gonna look at that for a couple of moments. Now last week we mentioned in this story, Jesus already made it clear that location is not important to worship. You can be in a church setting, you can be at home worshiping, but there is a dynamic to corporate worship. There's a reason that God called all the Jews together to to, uh, do feasts and do celebrations and all that. There's there's a dynamic in worship that God is able to work through. Now, he goes on to say in this verse that he favors the Jewish form of worship over the Gentile form of worship. He said, you guys worship what you don't know. We worship what we do. So he's differentiating the two different types of worship. And for the moment, he is saying that The Jewish form of worship is better than the Gentile form of worship. Now, this kind of talks about what we mentioned last week. You know, the singing and clapping, raising hands, whatever we do, we may think that's worship. But unless we are focused on the centrality of Jesus Christ as the reason we worship and through whom we worship, then all those things aren't really part of worship. Now, I wrote down here, I don't want to get political, but there's been a name that's been in, in the news lately. Mr. Romney. Does that name ring a bell to anybody? Now, if you were to ask your garden variety person, what is he? They would probably say a Christian. But how many know Romney's a Mormon? And how many know that Mormon is not a Christian faith? No matter what they call themselves, whatever they say, whatever they, they are not, they deny the basic tenets of the Christian faith. So you may go into a Mormon church and they may have the same type of worship that we have with the band and the singing and the clapping. But that is not biblical worship because it's not the form, it's the recipient of the worship. The recipient of the worship is God through Jesus Christ. So, Jesus says, there's clearly some forms of worship that are better than others. But even at that point, he challenges their form. In other words, we may have a better form than somebody else, but it doesn't mean we're exactly where God wants us to be. He, He said the Jewish form is better, but you're not quite there yet. You're gonna get there, but right now. So, if it's true that we could have a better form of worship, than someone else, but it may not be what God wants it to be. That tells us we should know what God wants it to be. So the verse we said before, God is spirit, his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. Now, I did a little research on this verse. Now the NIV, if you look at that scripture, the word spirit, when it says God is spirit, it's not a capital S. If you look at other versions, it is a capital S, and it should be a capital S because they're talking about the Holy Spirit. God is the Holy Spirit. But the second part of that verse where it says, must worship in spirit and in truth, that is correct in that it is not talking about the Holy Spirit. It's talking about our spirit. I, you know, for a long time I used to think that when we worship, we let the Holy Spirit worship through us. That's what I thought that verse meant. But it's not. It means that our spirit, who we are in ourselves, That is what worships God. The Vines Dictionary of that word uh, tells us this. The spirit is the sentient element in man, that by which he perceives, reflects, feels, and desires. In other words, it means the heart. We worship from our heart. Not God worshiping through us. We worship from our heart. Not going through the motions, not truly having, but truly having our heart engaged as we worship. In other words, it's not only the physical acts. It's not the raising, the clapping, all that stuff. It's not just that. Because that by itself is not worship. It has to involve our heart in the fact that we're worshiping. How many have ever sat through a song, you've sung it, you've raised your hands, but you're thinking about something else? You know the song, it's, maybe it's a song that everyone's familiar with, you close your eyes, you sing the lyrics, but when you're done, you forgot what song it was. And during the singing of the song, you're thinking about something else. It's possible to do. If I'm driving my car and a song comes on the radio that I know, I'll sing it, but I'll be thinking about another th- something else. Because I know the lyrics so well, I can just sing the song, which is another treat in itself, no one's in the car with me at that time, so. But I'll sing it really loud, and there's no one there. But I'll be thinking about something else. What what exit though I got off? Am I speeding? Is there a policeman over there? I'll be thinking about other things as I sing the song. So it's possible to do all the motions without having your heart engaged. And it says part of worship or all of worship has to be from the heart first. And from the heart, that should result in outward demonstrations. Now the The Assembly of God Fire Bible has a commentary, it says this. God's primary concern is our spiritual attitude. Quote, in spirit points to the level or depth at which true worship occurs. Authentic worship must come from the heart. It should reflect a godly character and a deep devotion to God. Above all, our worship must focus on God's character and attributes and be a heartfelt expression of one's own spirit to God's spirit. In other words, we're able, we can do everything that God requires us to do in worship, but if our heart isn't in it, then we're not worshiping. It's not worship. If you remember in the Old Testament, and we'll get to that, oh, I'll get to that in a moment. In Isaiah 1, it says this. Oh, you're the man. Oh, You're awesome, buddy. Give it up for Paul. Back in the Old Testament, Israel was getting chastised by God. He says in Isaiah 1:10, it says, Listen to the Lord, you leaders of Israel. Listen to the law of our God, people of Israel. You act just like the rulers and the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. I'm sick of your sacrifices, says the Lord. Don't bring me any more burnt offerings. I don't want the fat from your rams or other animals. I don't want to see the blood from your offerings of bulls and rams and goats. Why do you keep parading through my courts with your worthless sacrifices? The incense you bring me is a stench in my nostrils. Your celebrations of the new moon and the Sabbath day and your special days for fasting, even your most pious meetings are all sinful and false. I want nothing more to do with them. I hate all your festivals and sacrifices. I cannot stand the sight of them. From now on, when you lift your hands in prayer, I will refuse to look. Even though you offer many prayers, I will not listen. Wow. Wow. Now, think about this. The things that they are doing, who told them to do it? God. God set this system of worship up. God says you're to do all these things. And now God's saying he he hates it? What happened? What's the difference? Two things. Israelites had fallen into a routine. They had done this for so long, they probably had it down pat. They did it without even thinking about it. And that was the problem. They, were, they came in, they did all that they were gonna do, but their hearts were no longer in it. They were probably doing it perfectly. In fact, in the New Testament, Jesus says to the Pharisees, you tithe and you do everything right according to the law, but you miss the heart of it. You miss the emotion part of it. You ever find yourself in a situation you've been in for so long, maybe in a church, and you've done it for so long, it just becomes a matter of habit, and you do it out of habit. It's easy to get into. You come to church, you come to Sunday school, it's 9.30, you've got to go to church, 10.30, you got to go Sunday school, 9.30, church, 10.30, and you go through the motions because you've always done it, and maybe you don't even want to be here, but you're here because you do it. That's what we do. And that's exactly what was happening with Israel. They had the worship part down pat. They had everything God told them to do. They were doing right. Except they couldn't care less about God. They were not worshiping from their heart. They were worshiping out of habit. Now, why did God say he hated their worship? He goes on to say this in verse 15. For your hands are covered with the blood of innocent victims, Wash yourselves and be clean. Let me no longer see your evil deeds. Give up your wicked ways. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Help the oppressed. Defend the orphan. Fight for the rights of widows. So everything they did before God was right. But everything they did in public was wrong. They did not do anything that God had told them to do other than the outward act of worship. And I wrote this sentence down. In other words, you can't live like you want throughout the week and then come and expect to worship from your heart on Sunday. You can't be bar hopping during the week and expect to worship God on Sunday with your heart. You can't be drinking all week. You can't be sleeping with someone else all week and then come to church on Sunday. You can't be cussing all the time and expect to worship God from your heart because your worship doesn't match your life. And that's the first thing God looks at. What is in your heart should affect how you live during the week. And In fact, this is what we kind of talked about with the teens today. We talked about what's your witness like? Do you act different at church than you do at home? Or at school? Do people know you're a Christian at school? Or do you behave like everybody else and there's no difference? We can't be doing the things the world does all week long, ignoring what God tells us to do all week long and expect to come on Sunday and be able to worship God from our heart because our heart is not in it. Our heart is too twisted to figure out there's a difference. Outward symbolism, outward worship is nothing if your heart is not involved in it. Your weekly living already says your heart isn't living for God, so how can your worship be from your heart? If throughout the week you're doing things that God says don't do, then your heart's not in it. So how can your heart be in it on Sunday morning? There was a book called I Exalt You, O God, by a guy named by the name of Jerry Bridges, and he quotes a Puritan pastor from the 1700s. He says this Without the heart, it is not worship. It's a stage play, an acting part. We may be truly said to worship God through we, though we lack perfection, which is true because we're not perfect, but we cannot be said to worship God if we lack sincerity. In other words, we can, you know, we can, we're not perfect. We sin and we ask for forgiveness. But if it's a consistent pattern, that means you're not being sincere when you worship. Spurgeon says this, Offered without a sincere heart, every form of worship is a solemn sham and an impudent mockery of the majesty of heaven. So hopefully at this point we understand that worship should come from the heart. When it comes from the heart, then that comes out in our physical acts, whether it's raising hands or clapping or singing, or whatever it is, it comes from the heart, not because it's a matter of habit. But now Jesus' statement didn't just say spirit. It says must worship in spirit and in truth. Two aspects of the word truth. If someone's being truthful, that means they're being genuine, correct? If I'm, if I'm telling you the truth, that means I'm being genuine. I'm telling you what's in my heart. If I act one way at home and another totally different at church, I'm not being genuine. I'm not being truthful. <coughs> one or the other is not right. Hopefully as believers, we don't have two personas. We don't act one way at home than we do at church. The other aspect of truth is, or part of that is, are you being genuine in your worship? In other words, do you react demonstrably with how you really feel in your spirit? Are you excited about worshiping God? Are you wanting to clap? you wanting to raise your hands. you wanting to express your worship, but you're afraid of what your neighbor's gonna think. When we worship in truth, we are able to express physically what we already feel in our spirit, in our heart. We want to exalt God. We want to applaud. We want to appreciate. We want to do what we feel. And if we don't do that because we're fearful of what other people are saying or doing, whatever else is doing, then you're not being genuine in your worship. Part of worshiping in truth is you express what you feel. If you love God and you're excited about God, tell him you're excited about him. If you're solemn, you're humble, tell him that. You know, we're Pentecostal, but there's varying forms, I think. Some are really demonstrative. Some aren't really demonstrative. And, you know, people have said to me, you know, I'm just not into that uh, emotional thing. I don't, I don't like to get emotional. And the author of the, of the book says the same thing I'm going to say. It's not true. I've seen you watch a football game. I've seen you smash your finger when you're working on a car. I've seen you on the golf course when you miss it. You don't just sit there and go, oh, okay, no. You throw the wrench, you throw the club, you jump up and down, you cheer or you boo or yell at your favorite team. So yeah, you're emotional when it counts. So when you come to church, that same emotion that gets you excited when your team scores or gets you excited when something actually works that you fixed or the golf ball goes straight and you got it, That's the same type of exuberance we should show to God. We worship in truth. We are genuine in our worship. We don't hide what we feel. If we hide what we feel because we're afraid of what others are gonna think, then you're not worshiping. You're holding it in. The second part of truth, and probably more importantly, is what we are doing biblical is what we are doing from God's word. John 17, 17 says, sanctify them by truth, your word is truth. So in our acts of worship, you know, feelings and emotions have a part of it, but we have to make sure that those feelings and emotions are filtered through God's word. Now, just because we want to, we feel it or we want to express it, doesn't always mean it's right how many understand that just because you have a an emotional feeling doesn't mean you automatically do it if it goes against god's word one of the things we we had a word from god last week and I, one of the things i've always been taught and always try to teach god does not interrupt himself holy spirit doesn't interrupt himself that means if someone is you know if god is moving in a sanctuary something out of the ordinary is not going to happen to distract what God's going to do. If God is, and we're in solemn prayer, we're humbled before God, we're on our face crying out to God, God's not going to have someone shout and scream in the back. God does not interrupt himself. So just because we feel it doesn't automatically mean it's it's true. Is this part of what God's doing? Now, how many have ever said the phrase, or heard the phrase, God knows my heart? Right? And we say that usually because we want to justify something that we're doing. Well, God knows my heart. I didn't mean to do that, God knows my heart. I didn't you know, I, I wanted to shout out in church because God knows my heart. What's the Bible say about our heart? Jeremiah seventeen nine the human heart is most deceitful and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? So just because we feel it in our emotions It has to be filtered through God's word first. Emotions are great if they're lined up with God's word. You look at the the Jewish people. The author says this, you want to see, see emotion? Go to a Jewish wedding. A lot of emotion going on. A lot of things going on. The Jewish people in the Old Testament, they were the ones that were demonstrative in their worship. So that's okay, part of worship, as long as it's filtered through God's word. And Jesus says, Spirit and truth are both needed because one checks the other. There's a saying that I heard years ago, all truth and no spirit we dry up, all spirit and no truth we blow up, spirit and truth together we grow up. And that means we have to analyze how we worship and make sure what we do lines up with scripture. There may be things that we feel we should do, but are not biblical. Maybe things we've always done before in the past, but they're not biblical. It's too easy to fall into the trap of doing something that feels comfortable and maybe even feels right, but it doesn't quite line up with God's Word. I'm gonna give you an example. again, this is my personal thing on this. We talked about it Wednesday. We talked about laughing. You know, I granted that, you know, laughter is a good medicine. You know, it helps. I'm still not sold out as laughing as a part of worship because I don't see that in any worship. It may be a, a response to worship, but I don't think there's anything cathartic in the act of laughing itself. How many understand what I'm saying? And, you know, you may disagree with me on that, that's that's fine. I just have it. you know, if it seems to be too distracting. If God's going to give you an emotional feeling, that's great. And we want that. But I'm not sure that that's actually a part of biblical worship. It's not ever mentioned anywhere in the New Testament as laughing. There's other things, clapping, raising hands, all that's mentioned, but laughing isn't. So, for me, that's, I filter that through God's word and Again, you may differ with me on that, but that's just how I feel about that particular thing. That could be anything that we do that we think is right but doesn't actually go through God's Word. On the flip side, are there things that we should be doing that we're not because we don't feel comfortable in them? Now, next week, we're going to get into what physical aspects of worship are biblical. In other words, is, is clapping hands biblical? Is raising hands, biblical? Is crying out to God, biblical? All those things we're going to look at next week. But spirit and truth are two sides of the same coin. Both are necessary for true biblical worship. We can express our heartfelt emotions in worship. Hopefully that comes from a heartfelt life throughout the week. You know, I found out that you just can't turn it on and off. How many have found that out? You spend time in God's word and you're really prayed up it flows great into worship it flows great into the things you want to do during the week if you're not then you're going to have a hard time really entering in on Sunday because the whole week has been away from God not praying not reading anything and so you just can't walk in and instantly turn it on doesn't mean we don't doesn't mean we don't worship but there's going to be more of a difficulty if our life outside of here is different than our life in here. And you're not going to be able to receive what God wants because a lot of times we pray and we accept, but God works outside of here. How many understand that? You know, we prayed for healing. God may heal tomorrow, next week. So if if we're living a different life outside of here and we're expecting God to work and we're not living for Christ outside of here, it might be a long time waiting for God to work. Because our life outside of here has to be the same as our life in here. Now we talked about emotion, but there's a difference between emotion and emotionalism. How many know the difference? Emotionalism is our desire to live out of and live for our emotions. In other words, if we don't feel it, it doesn't, it's not true and we live for the emotional aspect of it. Emotion is different. Emotion comes from your heart, from things that are happening in your heart, and we don't live for them, we accept them when they come. Emotionalism is, if it's not emotion, if it's not you know, all crying and wanting, it's not from God, and it's not true either. We don't live for emotionalism, but we live for the true meaning of our emotions through worship. Emotions are just the feelings we experience because of true worship. When we enter into worship, and I've mentioned this before, you know, we sing the faster songs first. That's the praise part of worship. And it kind of allows us to enter into God's presence. And then we start singing the slower songs. And usually during that time, the Holy Spirit has come in and and we're really in an attitude of worshiping God. And the lyrics really mean something and we're really able to focus on that. And that, the emotion comes up. A lot of times it's, you know, I'm not worthy, and it's true, we're not worthy. Or maybe it's, you know, God, you're so good to me, better than I deserve you to be. And that's the emotions that come. And generally, or usually, the emotions that we feel at that point are in response to how we feel in our heads. If I don't feel like, you know, God, you have, I don't deserve these blessings. And I'm gonna be humble before God and just be thanking them the whole time. And God, I don't, I don't deserve this. Lord, you are so good. The, the author gives an example that we'll talk about later about if God created the universe, and we do, God created the universe, and right now they believe that there's, what, a trillion stars out there. Sometimes scientists believe there's more than that, but just a trillion. And he gives this example I thought was great. If you could count to a trillion with two numbers every second, one, two, three, four, five, how long would it take you to get to a trillion if you could do that? You can't even do that because when you get to 300,453, it takes longer than that. But say you could do it one every, two every second. How long would it take you to get there? Any guess? 35,000 years. The God of the universe created that many stars and the Bible says he calls them by name. He named every one of them. How many of you have trouble calling your kids by the right name? He named every star, a trillion of them. He knows every name. How does he know every hair on your head? That same God is so beyond our ability to understand that He is worthy of worship. And the emotion that we have from that should be, Lord, why, why do you even think about me? Why, who am I, the Bible says, who am I that you care about me? But in all those trillion stars, cares about you. And so, man, that that should just well up in emotions. Lord, thank you. Thank you for caring about little old me. And that should all be a part of the worship that we have, the emotion that we have through worship. And we mentioned location earlier is not important to worship. We can truly worship anywhere, but there's a dynamic that God uses in corporate worship that doesn't always happen in private worship. 1 Corinthians 12 talks about everyone having a unique gift in the church in the church setting. Now, one verse that I'm gonna look at, 1 Corinthians 12, seven, we're gonna close in a moment. It says, a spiritual gift is given to each of us as a means of helping the entire church. When we are part of worship, the giftings that God gives us through the Holy Spirit are designed to help the entire church. That's why we believe that God gives us words of knowledge and words of wisdom and prophecy and tongues and interpretation, why? Because it's meant to, to help all the church. We're all to receive from that. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's correction. That God, And the way that sometimes it should work, kind of like with Ananias and Sapphira, they, Paul didn't know, or Peter didn't know what was going on. They walked in and, and God revealed to him at that point what they did. And that's how it should work in the church as well. It's all meant to help the entire church. Now, when we gather as a group of believers to worship biblically, in spirit and in truth, we should expect the Holy Spirit to work through our people for the benefit of the entire church. Now, this isn't in my notes, but I'm going to go, if I have it here still. Yes. This form that's in your pass out, not only Do we have gifts that help the entire church in a worship setting? We also are gifted to help God's people in various settings. All a part of that. It's all a part of that. My old pastor used to say, God is not going to send people to your church if your church isn't ready for them. And that doesn't mean we're not spiritually ready, but are we practically ready? If God influxes with 50 young people, 50 teenagers. Are we ready to receive them? If God fills this place with 100 kids, do we have what's necessary in place to receive them? The reason that we do these is because we want to be ready for that influx. We believe that the Holy Spirit is going to do that. And if we're not planning for that, we're not preparing for that, then we don't believe that God's going to send people. Part of that is the spiritual gift that God gives us and when we worship, that's just a small part of the Holy Spirit using us to build his entire church. That's our responsibility. When we worship, I mentioned this last week, and I promise I'm gonna close. But we're gonna, have, we're gonna spend a little bit of time worshiping as well. Now, See, I must not be able to say that because God took it out of my mind. But worship is us just worshiping God focusing on God nothing about us we're exalting God we're lifting him up we're exalting the name of Jesus the sermon and the prayer is God now focusing down on us and our job is to receive what God gives to us our worship is hopefully God receives our worship the second part is what God wants to do God wants us to receive what he's doing we pray That the anointing is upon the worship team. We pray the anointing is upon the word. We pray the anointing is upon the prayer. But we also pray that the anointing is upon each one of us to receive what God is doing in the service. And when we come, again, going back to come expectantly, are we prayed up? Are we praying that God anoints me to hear what I need to hear? I need to do. I need to experience. Because everyone's a little bit different. There may be something that someone says to you not in church, but on the side that blesses you, that you need to hear, that you're open to that. And maybe God wants to use you to say that to somebody else. Are you open for that? Because all there is doesn't always happen here. It could happen in Sunday school. It could happen in the hallway. God wants to use each one of us in a way that builds up everybody else. That may happen. It happens a lot in the service. It happens through worship, but it may happen through a conversation in the hall. Last week, Pete and Dee prayed for a lady up front after everyone was gone. They were praying for her. Why? Because God used them to bless the entire church. You come in with the need, God knows what the need is, and He may pick you to fulfill that need. And He may pick someone else to fulfill the need that you have. There's a reason that God says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Why? Because, not because God needs your attendance in church. It's because God may want to use you to do something for somebody else. And if you're not there, God's not going to have someone to use. Or maybe you need to be the recipient of that. God knows what you need to hear. And if you don't come, you miss out on what God wants to tell you and God wants to do for you. I'm going to ask the worship team if they'll come back up. Actually, they knew I was going to call them so it's not like a surprise, right? And we're gonna sing and we're gonna it's only a quarter up, so we got time. And I think I've been saving up time, right? So all the times that I let you out early, I'm banking that. So when we stay, if we stay late, it's okay because you owe me. But we're gonna sing, How great is our God. And I want us to really focus on the greatness of God, Him focusing on you. I mean, out of all the millions of people that have lived, billions of people. He knows you. He knows the hairs on your head or the lack thereof, whatever. But he knows you. And he picked you. The Bible says he chose you. You didn't choose him. So when we worship God, just focus on how great God is. And let your emotions go. If you want to worship God loudly, that's great. If you want to worship God quietly, that's fine. But let it be from your spirit, from your heart. So that when you do worship God, it's it's not just out of habit, but it's from your heart. Thank you. His voice. Continue to focus on the greatness of God hallelujah Jesus you're worthy of worship you're worthy of honor and glory we exalt the name of Jesus we lift you up Lord you are worthy of worship hallelujah Jesus hallelujah fill this place Lord hallelujah Jesus we exalt you Lord we exalt you you are worthy Lord you are worthy you are worthy Lord hallelujah all that we have within us Lord we worship you our hearts are tuned to you Lord we worship you we exalt the name of Jesus hallelujah Jesus thank you oh you're so good to us Lord you are so good to us oh hallelujah Lord hallelujah thank you Jesus hallelujah Lord hallelujah Jesus hallelujah hallelujah Jesus hallelujah Hallelujah. oh Lord let our worship be pleasing to you, Lord. We exalt you. We want you lifted up. Hallelujah. We humble ourselves before you, Lord. We're your servants, Lord. We're your, we're your children, and we exalt your name. You are worthy of worship. You are worthy of worship. Thank you for saving us, Lord. Thank you for the sacrifice, Father, you gave of your son. You gave your son for me, for each one of us. Lord, for that alone, you are worthy of worship. You're worthy of honor and glory. If you do nothing else for us, Lord, we already are guaranteed of heaven because of what Jesus did. Our sins are forgiven. We are washed clean because of you. You're worthy of worship. We exalt the name of God, our Father. We exalt Jesus. Let your Holy Spirit fill this place and allow our worship to come from our hearts, Lord, that we honor you, we exalt you, Jesus. You are a great God. You're a great God. You're a good God to us, Lord. You're better to us, and we deserve you to be. Jesus, Jesus, thank you. Fill this place, Lord. Fill this place. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. You're worthy, Lord. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. You're worthy, Lord. You are worthy. You alone are worthy. Thank you for allowing us to be in your presence, Lord. Oh, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you. Thank you, Lord.
1: Thank you, Lord.
0: For I am the God of miracles. I am the God that loves you with an everlasting love. I am the God that created the greatest miracle of all when I brought my Son into your life and into your heart. Jesus. And there was a change that was made, and you were led from the darkness into the light of my love. Oh, Father. How we love you this morning. How we praise you for your goodness. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father, we do enter your courts with thanksgiving. Enter your courts with praise. We thank you for the ability to come into your presence and for allowing us to receive all that you have for us, Lord. And you do have things for us. You've promised to be there. You've promised to to meet the needs upon our heart. You've promised to be there in our worship and you've promised to be there through your word. So, Father, it's it's mutual. We worship you, and then you bless us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that we're able to enter into the presence of the living God of the universe. Who are we? Who are we? But we're so thankful that your word says you care about each one of us. Father, thank you for what you've done this morning. Thank you for the healings and the miracles that are taking place even as we pray. And we want the name of Jesus to be glorified through all of it. So, Father, as we leave this morning, I pray that you would continue daily to fill us. Let our lives be a reflection of who we are in Jesus. Let people see something in us that draws them to the cross. As John the Baptist said, I must become less so that you become more. Lord, who we are as individuals must become less. And the person of Christ living in us must become more. Help people to see that. Help us to be able to lead people to the cross. Allow us to be your witnesses outside of here. As we continue to pray, for those who we love and who need Jesus we still believe you're the God of miracles and that you can save the hardest person you can save the person that's the furthest from you you can save anyone your word says it's impossible for us to do it but nothing is too hard for you so we trust you Lord that those we're praying for will come to know you I pray that you would use us in whatever capacity that is to facilitate their accepting Jesus. And Father, we will come back next week to honor you and to celebrate you for the miracles you've already done and for who you are. Lord, I commit this church, I commit each one of us to you. Fill us, use us. Bring us back next week to fill us again. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. 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 Man, aren't you glad the presence of God is here? Aren't you glad you're in God's house today? Wow. Praise the Lord. Have a blessed week. We will see you Wednesday.